Welcome to The Deep Dive. I'm your host, Philip McKenzie. I'm an anthropologist strategist with a focus on culture and humanity-centered design. I'm Brooklyn-born and Brooklyn-made. Every week, I will bring you guests from a wide variety of backgrounds who, despite their different areas of expertise, share traits in common. They aim high, push boundaries, and make things happen. Their experiences drive insights. On today's episode of The Deep Dive, I'm joined by Hillary Maddox. Hillary is the founder of Black Girl Country Living Magazine and Podcast. She left the city for a slow life in the country, fell in love with nature, and found deep healing in the process. In 2022, Hillary left her career at Amazon to build a business to help others explore their relationship with nature, themselves, and the earth. You can find her writing on Substack and follow her on Instagram. All those links will be in the show notes. But I want to thank Hillary for being on the deep dive. How are you? Hi, good. Thank you so much for having me. We've already bonded over our mutual love and and need for chapstick. Um, yes. That all happened <laughs> off air. Absolutely. <laughs> and that is not a promotion. I am I am always desperately, desperately making sure that I have chapstick around me at all times. So we did bond over that. If Chapstick does want to sponsor the show, go for it. But that was not an endorsement <laughs> of Chapstick in particular, but more of just juicy Black people lips. Absolutely. Um, so having said that, I have so many things that I want to talk to you about because your your journey and your story is very much a personal one to you. But I also found so many deep connections to pockets of movements and moments that extend extend beyond just what's happening with ourselves. I, I feel like there's been people moving back to nature in general, Black people moving back to nature, moving back to the land, wherever their lands might be. I, I just see these trends more and more. And if anything, maybe the recent pandemic and the recent fascism of the Trump administration has has had us collectively kind of looking for things that are deeper than ourselves, so to speak. So, but I do want to give you an opportunity just to set the table, despite me kind of going through the introduction, your your story is much deeper than that introduction can capture. So I want to give you an opportunity to share a little bit of your personal journey and, and what brought you away from Amazon to now living a, a life on, I don't want to call it a farm, but like a, a natural, a more natural, quieter, localized life in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all those things you mentioned are absolutely true. And it's fascinating to see the trends more broadly and connect with more people who are doing this. But for me personally, I was born and raised in rural Midwest and always felt like life was happening outside of that area, that the important big stuff was taking place in the city and I needed to be there. And I got my degree in social work. And as soon as I got my the bill, I was like, you know what, I got to head for corporate life because there's no way I can pay for this doing public policy or whatever. So I immediately jumped into climbing the corporate ladder, doing learning and development, an industry that I didn't even know existed, and sort of surfed around a lot of different places. And I think no matter where I found myself, I was kind of always the only one, only Black person, only Black woman, and more and more started to recognize that 
in those spaces, I was kind of only allowed to be an archetype of who I wanted to be, could only show up as a fraction of who I wanted to be. And in a lot of ways, didn't really know who I was in my fullest capacity because you know, there's just not many spaces where we're allowed to be our fullest selves. And I think it was really around the pandemic where there was just like this reckoning and the dissonance just got so loud between the work that I was doing, um, working in high tech, basically building executive education programs for Amazon and realizing like this feels so out of alignment with who I am personally and the kind of like softness that I naturally move in and what I want to bring into this world. And my husband and I wanted to leave the city and we didn't know how it would ever happen. And the pandemic just gave us that opportunity. And so leaving for a rural area in some ways felt like it was kind of always inevitable. Like I, I kind of wanted to go back to what felt like home as a kid. And when I got here and started to like decompress all of this, like this tension of not ever really getting to be my full self, always having to be sort of in this performative space of meeting other people's expectations, but never really understanding who I was and what I wanted for myself. It just got to this breaking point where I decided I couldn't do Amazon anymore. I couldn't make it work, that I wanted to figure out how to share what I was experiencing with other people and lean more into my creative side that I'd never gotten to explore and leverage all of the work that I had done building these incredible programs for corporations and do that for people in a way that they can reconnect with themselves, build community and understand that we have to take care of the place that we live. We have to understand what is essential in this life, because I think that more and more that stuff is becoming critical wisdom that we've lost. There's like so much in that, that I want to start to like explore more and dive into, because you mentioned this idea of like being the only and what it's like not being able to bring your, your full self into a space. And just from a, a general perspective, when I, when I think about those who are in spaces around, and I'm going to throw a bunch of words out there like sustainability or farming or rewilding, so much of that does not include Blackness, mm-hmm. right? In the general sense, like w- whatever spaces don't include Blackness, Blackness is there, right? So... Blackness is always there, but it is not on the front cover, so to Absolutely, speak. yeah. And so I'm curious how that that only has translated into a space where you are feeling more, it sounds like you're feeling more complete, more seen, more yourself, but in some ways there's still an only happening. Yeah, uh, it's absolutely true. When I first started sharing my stories through Instagram and on Substack, it kind of started as this like black girl country living. I wanted to challenge people's notion of who gets to live in the country, like who takes up space in these places. And the deeper I got into it, I realized, oh, there's a lot of us out here. We're like you said, we're just not on the cover. And 
the more that I leaned into finding that community and the representation who was out here, the more I realized, oh, we're like the keepers of the wisdom. <laughs> we're the ones who are like actually going to like solve some of these really big problems that we're having because we're doing things differently. We're not doing things to scale. We're not doing things to like you know, lean back into the the systems that have created a lot of oppression. We're doing things to lend ourselves to communities of care, to and thinking about organizations like cooperations that can bring more ideas and bring more different sort of work styles and creativity into a split uh, into a space. And the more I realized that it just was a matter of us not being on the cover, the more I I decided that I wanted my platform to elevate those stories because I think one of the barriers continues to be, well, I can't do that because people like me don't do that. And I think the more we start to examine a lot of stories throughout history, the more that we see there's been a lot of people, a lot of these stories are there. We just haven't, they haven't been explicitly shared to us as a story about being in connection with the land. Harriet Tubman's story uh, is one that comes to mind because I just, just wrote about it this month, but we Think about her as having saved all of these enslaved people, but we don't often give her the credit for being this incredible naturalist to have a deep, deep understanding of the lands that she had to navigate back and forth through all of these different terrains um, and understand how to use the stars to navigate, how to use waterways, just an immense amount of wisdom about a place. Um, and that is the kind of wisdom that we're trying to reclaim right now. You know, I, I read the, the Harriet Tubman piece on on the site. So there's some notes in here where we're going to talk about that. And um so I'm going to but I'm going to jump to it now. Listeners are used to me kind of jumping from one thing to another. So they're willing to take this ride with us. So it's okay. Um if it feels a little like off kilter, it's 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 fine because there is so much knowledge in natural spaces. And one of the things that I am I'm often confronted with is the, this tension between knowing and not knowing and coming from a, a tech background, right? I think you'll kind of understand where I'm going with this, right? Is that so much of, of how we value and perceive knowledge is put in these systems that are sometimes oppressive, extractive, or diminishing, right? Then there's other ways of, of knowing the world that are to, in my mind, more relevant and deeper. And that's what I thought about when I read the section of your um, magazine about Harry Tubman, that her, I could imagine, and now I'm, I'm kind of projecting, her knowledge of these systems, her deep knowledge of the land in which she was traveling helped her do what she was doing, right? It helped her evade capture. Like, you know, this wasn't like these people were like on a boat <laughs> or anything like that. Like this was a journey that was, any encounter was fraught with loss of life. Like not danger, but like you would die. Like this was someone who was wanted, right? And her, that deep knowledge that you, that you talked about, I would imagine helped her evade capture and helped her bring these enslaved people to freedom, right? She knew what those who were trying to capture her didn't know. Yeah. Right. So I, the question finally is, you know, how do we continue to collect and keep that knowledge? Like you said, you're keepers of that knowledge and manifest it in ways 
not to scale commercially, but to offer that same type of freedom to others? Mm, Yeah. Gosh, this is a question that I, I struggle with a lot because I think I feel a deep sense of loss about the kinds of wisdom that I, I don't and won't have access to. But I think it really has a lot to do with coming back to knowing ourselves in relationship to the places we live, because the places we live sort of dictate a lot of what we need to know about ourselves, our surroundings, how to feed ourselves, how to care for ourselves. And I think a lot of that comes back to local community and creating spaces where people can share their wisdom, feel comfortable sharing their wisdom, where people are also compensated for sharing their wisdom, where their wisdom is valued. I think about a few local farmers who I'm working with after realizing it's not simple to just start. It's simple to start a garden. But when you think about like, I want to start growing food to feed my whole family, it starts to get more complicated and you really have to understand the region that you're in. You have to understand the soil. You have to understand the growing time zones. I would really love to be able to grow things year round. There's so much you have to understand. And all of that is specific to your region. And as I started reaching out to local farmers, there's this mentality, I think, that comes from life. And I think especially coming from like a text background where there are known and there are unknowns, but it's just like you go learn the thing and you do it. And now I'm in a space learning gardening, learning that there's only so much I can know each year and each season, only so much I can learn each season and it has to continue to build. It's very cyclical. And so I think also creating spaces where it's okay to not know all that you need to know. It's okay to lean on somebody and spaces where we encourage people to be curious because we don't often, we aren't often granted that as adults, the opportunity to just continue to learn and to not have all of the information you you need to have. And I think that more than anything, this journey has been an opportunity for me to be okay with not knowing everything and continuing to ask questions. And, you know, the not knowing is a, is a key thing that when I do my work outside of the show, I, I tell organizations and those who work with me, like, you have to be comfortable not knowing, you know, and, and we live in a world that is, the more we seek certainty, the more things we seem to not know. It's like, it's, it, it feels like you're grasping at sand. And the more you frantically try to grasp, the more it kind of slips through your fingers, right? And I was really touched by, as I, you know, as I went through the site and, and, and learned more about your work, I was touched about the way in which you talked about your gardening process. Right. There was was one piece where you you kind of talked about the sadness that you felt gardening, which in, in that particular moment, which is very much in contrast with, again, the popular media of that kind of sells us gardening. It's like it's always perfect. It's free of calamity. It's this place <laughs> where you go to like that's the place where everyone is peaceful. Yeah. Right. And I think gardening can and does provide those things, but to read a perspective of not even frustration at the at the growing process that you were facing, but just the garden started, it felt to me, this is my interpretation of it, and I, I want to give you space to, to kind of talk about it, 
it felt like the garden became just a reflection of the larger things going on in life mm. rather than refuge from the things go- going on yeah. in life, which is how it's often sold to us, right? Like yeah. just garden and everything will be Zen and you'll be great and happy, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I want to hear hear your thoughts on on that piece because maybe I'm a mel- melancholy person, but I like like talking about things like No, <laughs> like I... I mean, so before we moved out here, um, my husband and I lived with my in-laws and they own a garden and landscape business. So for several years, I watched my father-in-law, who's just an incredible gardener, and he has beautiful gardens both in Seattle and an insane garden in Nigeria where he's, it's just an entire produce section. And I watched him and I was like, okay. I'm going to do that when I, when I have my own garden, I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And, you know, the expectation of, you know, I watched the YouTube videos, I got the books, I'm just going to put it in the ground. And like, I'm going to have a perfect salad every day for the entire summer. My kids are going to love it. This, all of this produce is going to be delicious. And, (laughs) and then, you know, you get rain for an entire month and, the produce that you did pick out are like not the, the tomatoes we picked last summer were like not the eating kind. They were the canning kind. And I had no idea that there was a difference. (laughs) Neither did I. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And there was so much that just didn't grow. There was so much that didn't grow. And so, you know, I think I came in there with like this project management style, like, you know, I put together all my charts. So I thought that I would have produce sort of coming in throughout the summer and none of that happened. And so it was just, it was devastating because I thought I had it under control and I thought that all I had to do was follow, follow the lines, follow the rules and it would all happen as planned. And I think that that is both a beautiful and devastating lesson that you have to learn as a gardener is that you're not in control and I think that that's a point where I wanted to give up and I'm sure a lot of folks give up because it feels like, well, I'm just not good at this. But I also think it's a really powerful point where if you can listen and pay attention and lean into what nature is telling you and what as a collaborator you might need to do differently or, you know, how you might need to show up differently, there's tremendous opportunity in that moment to be a different gardener and have a moment of like introspection and not see it as like something that I did wrong, something that was a matter of poor planning, but it really is, you're creating something with nature and it's not just about you doing all of the right things. And this idea of control is is another kind of popular idea in a kind of modern hyper-capitalist society, right? That if you just mix the right things together, you will control the outcome. If you go to the right schools, get the right grades, connect with the right people, a job will manifest itself, right? If you blah, 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 blah. And I think to some extent, we we do that, right? Like, I mean, when you when you talk a, a little bit about your your personal story, you mentioned and you said it at the beginning of the show that life was happening somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. The this notion of living in the city was the thing. And you did that shit, 
right? Like yeah. you, you did, you did the thing. And, and I often reflect in the show that I had the same kind of aspiration. I mean, I was, all, I was already living in a city, but I, I viewed like having a particular job, working in a particular place was going to be the solve, totally. right? Like once I land in this spot and I do these things, boom, I'm going to be cool. Yeah. And wasn't the case, right? Yeah. So I'm kind of, mirroring our our circumstances to kind of talk about that notion of control and where I'm curious how you think it serves us and doesn't serve us because you did also manifest yourself into a different life. Yeah. Right. So there is something to be said for planning, but there is something to be said for understanding that planning isn't always (laughs) going to get you everything you need. So I'm, I'm curious about that yin and yang of that. Yeah, it is definitely a balance. I'm a deep believer in vision boarding and collaging. And I think it's always, especially because I didn't have access to the kind of culture that I wanted to as a young kid, I would kind of just collage and make idea, make, create the sort of dreams and ideas that I wanted to live into. And I've continued that as an adult. And I think that there were moments um, shortly after my husband and I got married where we created this vision board of where we wanted to be. And on it was this house that was out in the woods somewhere in nature, but we were living in San Francisco. We were like, I don't know where this is. We don't know how this is going to happen, when it's going to come. But there's a level of trust, I think, that that you have to create that you have to be willing to lean into and faith and knowing that just continuing to take the right next step for you and believing that if you are moving in the direction of where you want to be going, like those things will come. It's not just like a, I think there's an idea of manifestation as like this very sort of pop culture like just dream it and it'll happen. But I think all of my life it's been, uh, leaning into like, I think this is the right direction that I need to move into, but it's all in those everyday decisions. It's everyday decisions that lead you to those points where you are um, manifesting what you wanted in your life. If that makes any sense. No, it does. It does. And, and, and that's the, that's sort of the nefarious nature of these things, right? That, you know, you, when you talk about the pop culture parts of it, it's like, you know, I remember when like the secret was a thing, right? Like if yeah. you just sit there and, you know, positive think your way into stuff, it'll happen. And for for those of us who I feel that have always been on the margins, that becomes a, a less attractive message, right? Like positive thinking does not change, you know, systemic racism. Right. It doesn't it doesn't do away with misogyny and militarism and all of the things that deeply affect our lives. Right. Whether you you want to be a part of them or not. And so I've always kind of recoiled from that while also recognizing that there is something to be said for goal setting and like, you know, (laughs) having a some sort of plan, you know, while understanding that the, the plan is not always in your hands. And from that perspective, gardening serves as a metaphor, right? And when I when I keep reflecting on on your work, it it seems like 
so much of this is a process that despite the fact there there was sadness in the one particular post, there's a lot of joy in, in the work. Yeah. Right. And I, I want to give you an, an opportunity to kind of talk about the patience and the growth. Like they're, they're just like words that kept being weaving their way through your narrative. Yeah. Um, so I pulled them out as being important. Yeah. You know, and, and growth beyond the the growing of things out of the ground. Like it seemed like there was more to it than that. Yeah, definitely. And I think and like the the unsexiness of like it's the everyday decisions that matter. It's the same way in the garden. Like if you want to have a beautiful harvest, it's the unsexiness of you actually have to like show up every day and water it or take time to observe what the soil is like or whether or not there's there's fungus growing on the leaves. Like there are there are things, there are steps you have to sort of integrate. And for me, what I realized that it was doing and the growth that it was giving me was building a sort of a discipline within myself that I'd never really had before. I'd always sort of defaulted to sort of an instant gratification of like, if, if I could see it, then I know that it's real and like I've, I've accomplished something. But it took a while before I started realizing, oh, the, the garden is really teaching me something about myself. And if I can continue to just find those lessons and I started journaling more often, I started meditating and like all of these things, which I thought were sort of like woo woo and, you know, a little bit more like, oh, you know, I think people who, I don't know, it, it felt like a, again, sort of a pop culture self-care thing until I realized that there is value in that until I realized I'm really just not in tune with what is going on in myself and in my mind. Um, I'm not aware of what my needs are. And I started to learn all that and see all that through my garden and, you know, things that you would never imagine something as simple as growing a tomato plant can teach you something as simple as taking care of, you know, we have a few like shade gardens and certain things can't grow in those spaces. There's also certain things that will take over. And so things like boundaries, you have to create boundaries for plants. You have to encourage plants to grow in a certain direction. All of a sudden, those things were a reflection of my own life. Like, where do I need to create boundaries in my life? Where do I need to prune things back so that, you know, I have space for myself to thrive? The seasonality of growing and being in nature started to become much more real to me. Most of my life, I just kind of saw seasons as the moments where I switched out my wardrobe <laughs> and not really thought about them much deeper than that. And then realizing that those are also moments where I think it's in our nature to want to slow down and to go inward and to take time for more introspection and even though outwardly there's a lot of, in December, for example, there's just so much going on, it's given me an opportunity living this lifestyle to take a step back from sort of the external noise of we have to be involved in all of these to-dos during around the holidays. And I have very intentionally decided not to be involved in a lot of those activities any longer because I need that time for rest and reflection. And it just has given me a lot of compassion for myself as well in my younger years for all the ways in which I felt like I had to do a lot of the stuff 
that I engaged with and didn't give myself the opportunity to slow down, go inward. Yeah. So there's, there's just endless lessons. As soon as you think you've mastered one thing in the garden, there's always something else. You know, it's, it's amazing when you kind of talk about that, the seasonal changes, right? Which again, are a lot of wardrobe related, (laughs) related things. (laughs) Um, But in, in all seriousness, in, in my, in my yoga practice, my, my instructor would talk to us a lot about the seasons and where we were naturally in our, in our bodies. So her, she would change the practice depending on kind of where we were in the seasons and do, do a bunch of different stuff. So I'm not going to turn this into a whole yoga conversation, but I've, I've found that that was very like honest about where we were. And again, I want to juxtapose that with the way in which our lives work, which is in almost like a uniformity when you're in corporate spaces, right? Like everything should be the same. And yeah. we've, we've homogenized the way in which we live life, right? That, hey, we should always be able to get strawberries. We should always be able to get pine, like all the things. And and, and it, it sounds sometimes absurd, but it affects like our supply chains, right? Like it's supply, it's, it affects what, where we put our energy in the land to grow. Yeah. Right. The the things that become profitable, mm-hmm. even if the, that's a cyclical thing, become the thing that we pour resources into, even if the land is not made to support that and and do that. So it's it's I'm curious about that that tension again between the wildness that has to happen to make spaces healthy and the the care that also needs to happen, which can't be sporadic, right? Like care needs to be regular, right? It requires diligence, even if the outcomes that we're looking for are wild, right? Yeah. So so how do we balance that? Or it's or not, balance might not be the right word, but how do we confront that or deal with that or any number of words that probably aren't sufficient to what I'm trying to get at? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think for me... This is one of those questions, again, that comes back to knowing our places and specific places where we live that shape us. And I think we live in a time and place where we believe that, like, the whole world is our place, that, you know, it's okay and normal to have strawberries in winter, like all of those things. But I think that we're also at a tipping point where those things are going to become less and less possible. That's just the reality. And I think that recognizing that our places need to be where our food needs to come from, more localized food growth and understanding that there's only so much that we can grow within a region, within a space to support that. And I'm kind of going off the original question, but... um, It's allowed. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> I think I think it really we have to shift our expectations, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And instead of expecting all of these things to come to us, I think we are going to have to be willing to do a little bit more work to understand what is required to get what we need, what is essential. Because right now we've been in a time of overabundance of excess and that is just not a normal 
place to live. It's not a, a space that our earth can continue to sustain. And so I think the balance has to come back to where can our food come from? Where should our food come from? And how do we contribute to making sure that that's sustainable? You know, one of the things that I that I also found that you have done very well is, and, and I don't know if this was intentional, so maybe I'll, I'll ask the first part of this question will be like, was this intentional? To start to change the language of how we talk about living in quote unquote the country or gardening. Like when I, I went through the the magazine and and that really struck me that the language that was used by both yourself and different times when you have contributors was so much more in tune with a, a gentleness that doesn't it seems to exist less in more conventional conversations around these topics. And there was a, a piece that you wrote about uh, one of your two maple trees that had to be removed. And as I as I read the piece, it was um, a well well done, but also it was very emotional, right? And it took me to kind of as a kid of the 70s and 80s, where there's always like a there's a movement, and then to me there's always like a counter movement, right? And so I remember in in the 70s, kind of dating myself, there it was like the beginning of what I knew of as conservation, right? That litter was out of control. And so there was like active campaigns on TV to get us not to litter and to take care of the environment. And there's famously the indigenous who person who was not actually indigenous, but kind of going through the wreckage of America and then the one tier, you know, kind of comes down his face. Right. And and this was like, you know, I remember being a kid, four or five years old, this was like, oh my God, I'm never going to drop a piece of trash <laughs> ever. Right. So yeah. yeah. So those who think advertising doesn't work are wrong. Advertising works great. <laughs> um, that's why they do it. And <laughs> then it, it, it felt like there was a pushback against these narratives most popularly the term like tree huggers, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, you're just a lefty tree hugger. Like, you know, like, you know, as the person stands there with like a chainsaw at the ready, right? Yeah. And so I, I bring all that up to kind of bring us back to my original point about that particular piece about, and they were maple trees, right? There were two maple trees. Maple trees. When you talk about the loss of that tree, it was, I'm going to say as if it was a person, even though I don't agree that there's any difference. <laughs> so I'm going on the record that a, a, any living thing matters. And yeah. I'm not making this false argument that has been made for a long time that like people matter more than like trees. Yeah. Right. But the way in which you you wrote that piece was was very powerful to me. So I, I'm, I'm curious as to whether that is intentional or if that's just something that is happening or like what's the thought process behind those those choices of language yeah i've written a little bit about this and haven't gone as deep as i would like to go but i think when i first started this journey there became a point where i realized like this is being in this space in nature and like the space we live is very wild like there's elk there's owls there's all kinds of wildlife. There's a forest behind our home and we we live on an island. So it's we're very much in nature. And there was just a moment where I was just overwhelmed. 
like I could walk outside and I was just like, I don't know what this is. Like that's there's something about this space that is changing me and I couldn't quite figure it out. And I was talking to a few of my good friends and they both happened to be priests and I was telling them what's going on. And I grew up in a church, but never really, you know, found anything that was connecting for me there that drew me back. And I was telling him what was going on. And one of my friends said, I think you're having a spiritual experience. And I was like, there's just no way. It's no, like, I'm not in a church. This isn't like, this isn't the time and place. Like I'm literally sitting on my front porch, but like, I can feel this connection that's happening. And it's really, it was uncomfortable. And it took me a long time to come around to that idea And when I did, I started to do a lot of reading from different Buddhists, primarily Thay Nhat Hanh was one of them that I really leaned into. And I think just the language that he and others used to recognize that we are just parts of a living world and that all of these other beings have spirit in them and that we have the capacity to connect with them, all of that felt very true to me. And in a way that I was like, I I don't know that me three, four, five years ago would recognize the kind of language and the kind of way that I'm resonating with a freaking tree at this point. And it's kind of crazy to me that sometimes this is the language that comes up, but it feels very real and very true. Um, and I think the more that I become a part of this place, the more I see that there is a very deep connection between all of these things and us. And I think that we have just forgotten that we are just as much a part of nature as, as anything else. And I mean, as, as a, as a city kid, I'm, I definitely understand where you're coming from. And I've, and I feel that's why, like, I try to find these stories because in a way, finding these stories helps me find like myself. Right. As as someone who literally grew up in, like I say, glass and concrete. Right. Like this is New York in its most New Yorky. And that comes with like there's no natural space. <laughs> like zero. And so I'm I'm drawn to these stories because now I, I do feel those connections, right? Where it's like I try to use the same language. Like we're not going back to nature. We're part of nature. We're trying to understand each other in these spaces, even though I still do live in Brooklyn. Right. Yeah. And so there's no elk. <laughs> we have <laughs> we have some raccoons in the backyard, uh-huh. some possums and stuff sporadically, <laughs> but no elk. <laughs> right. Yeah. If I if I look out into this little backyard and I see an elk, something has happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dramatically. <laughs> but there there are those connections. And one of the things that that frustrates me, my family's West Indian. So our wilding is hotter <laughs> and more beach related. <laughs> so less mm-hmm. less kind of deep forest and a different kind of topography. Yeah. But it, it's it's interesting to me how those of us, and I'm talking about like black people, indigenous people who have been historically most connected to the land are now the ones least connected. Yeah. Right? Where and and there's historical reasons for this. Like the great yeah. migration and the terrorism that existed for black people in the south after reconstruction 
forced us to move, right? Yeah. Those who are American born, right? Those of us who come from outside the, the US, like my family left to kind of the American dream, right? We're going to yeah. get in a Pan Am jet and come to the United States. Yeah. So these connections are like all of these stories, these deep connections to the land, it feels like we're not part of them, mm. even though we've been the most part of them. Yeah. So it's, it's, so when I hear that language, that spiritual connection that, that you're talking about, I wonder how much of it is part of that collective memory, mm. right? And maybe this is my Octavia Butler stuff talking, but like, how do we, like, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Right. Like, and, and I'm not trying to romanticize things, but I am, but I think there's some practical use and good to us reclaiming these parts of us. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this was something that I really struggled with for a while because as I started to develop a relationship and a connection with nature, the outdoors, it often felt like the only way I could quantify that, qualify that was by saying I was outdoorsy and by kind of falling into these very westernized ways of like being in these spaces and saying like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a bird watcher or I like to go on vigorous hikes or like there's some. I'm granola and crunchy and. Yeah, there's like a thing that I'm specifically here to be doing to accomplish. I'm conquering. And I really, Wendell Berry, actually, I, I read a lot of his stuff. And I think that helped me to like adjust my understanding of words about, you know, even the nature, the outdoors, those are words that kind of separate us from those spaces and just very sort of Western colonial ways of thinking about ourselves as elevated, separate, different from. And so I think it is a collective remembering to go back to language that aligns ourselves with these spaces that acknowledges that when something is happening to the outdoor, in these spaces, the outdoors, nature, and it hurts and we feel that pain, it is because we are connected. And um, I think we have just been so, so desensitized to that connection. But when we take time to listen, to slow down and recognize that there's lessons, there's stories, there's there's so much history in all of these spaces that is reflecting back to us stories about ourselves, it is a remembering. And I think we just need to create space to do that. Well, you're, you're definitely creating that space, right? Like you're, you're living it and, you know, you have the magazine, um, Black Girl Country Living, you write about these topics, you're pulling people into this world and being pulled as well, right? So before we get to the final two segments in the show, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of reflect a little bit about that, you know, entanglement. And I, I always kick off each, each new season of the show calendar year of the show, talking to a guy named Indy Johar. I've known him for a very long time. And this word in, entangled came up a lot in our in our conversation, our most recent conversation. And I, I almost feel like it's going to be the word of the year um, because we we are so deeply entangled. And it feels like the more we try to unknot those entanglements is when things start to get fucked up, right? Yeah. So 
there's so much of a freedom in the language that you use and how you talk about your experience while being entangled, further entangled with the land, right? So as as an outsider, the more you get involved in the land around you with your family, which is an, I, I would define that as an entanglement, right? The more free <laughs> you seem to become. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious how you think about that as I've just reflected it to you. Is that, a, a, what, what are your thoughts? Accurate, not accurate, haven't thought about it that way, whatever. <laughs> I think that that is totally accurate. And <laughs> there are moments, my husband still works in the tech world and there are moments where I wonder like, am I just deeply out of touch because I'm like so off in this space of like understanding the world differently and seeing the world differently than I did even a few years ago. And I think for me, it's now becoming more and more important to help people see the world in a different way and help people realize like we, this is at its most essential. It is understanding that it is seeing a connection with ourselves and being being in connection with ourselves because I think all of that kind of it connects through when we can connect to ourselves we can more fully connect with other people we connect with the world around us and I think I want to be able to share some of what I've experienced that freedom that I've experienced and remind people that we have we're all given the capacity to cultivate that. And I think it's really how do we slowly like disentangle from our current systems because it is hard to see the possibility when we're so, so held back by, by all the current systems. So yeah, all of that resonates. And I think, I hope people see that there's potential and there's power in just starting with connecting to ourselves and seeing that kind of ripple outward. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an incredible process. I mean, we're just reading about it between your words and again the words of your co- collaborators, those who have who have also given their words to the magazine. Um, there are many. I don't. I can't name them all, but I don't want to pretend and that it's a a one person endeavor. It, it seems like you've done a, a really powerful and well done job of curating voices to join you yeah. in this. So I, I want to give a collective shout out to all those folks um, that it, 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 it's very in- intentional and it's, it is a, a beautiful entanglement. So I've had a lot of fun kind of going through it um, in, in preparation for this. So I, I want to get to the final two segments of the show because I'm keeping an eye, an eye on the time Yeah, because I'm, I'm prone to let time run away from us. So I have three off the dome questions and these are just okay. like literally off the dome. As someone who is now a gardener, what is one tool that every gardener must have? Oh, <laughs> I'm going to say this knowing that most gardeners won't be able to, but here in the Pacific Northwest, my tool of choice is my ducks <laughs> because <laughs> they, they eat all of the slugs and snails, which are highly problematic to gardens. <laughs> so actual ducks? We have two ducks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Do they have names? They do. Iggy and Barney. 
Shout out to Iggy and Barney. Yes. Doing valuable slug removal work. They are they are part of the gardening team here. Yeah. <laughs> so do they just eat the slugs or anything else? I mean, I know they eat other things, but... They forage mostly. So they'll, they'll eat a lot of insects. Um, during the winter, I have to feed them. Um, but they also lay eggs. One is a male, one's a female. So we get almost an egg a day and they're like a little, like 50% digger, bigger than a, a chicken egg. So they're really okay. good for baking. Yeah. Oh, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shout out to Iggy and Barney. Uh, so I'm assuming Iggy is the female. Iggy is the female, yes. Yeah, it would be odd. I mean, a little odd if Barney was the, not crazy odd, but. <laughs> Wait, let me, hold on. No, 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 no. Barney, Barney's the female. Um, really? Here, no, it, it's because when they're young, so it's a whole story. Uh, last summer, I wanted to get chickens, but I went to the store. I went to the country store and uh, when they were selling all of their chicks and they had the ducks marked down for a buck a duck. <laughs> and I I couldn't leave without them. And they, they require you purchase two. So I got two. And you can't tell if they're male or female. So we just gave them names. One was light, one was dark. And it okay. happened to be. <laughs> I don't know what to do with a buck a duck. I know. <laughs> I was offended for them. I was like, you can't, you can't price a duck, but a dollar, that's. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want to take it into the culinary world because I already feel an, an emotional attachment to both Iggy and Barney. But let's just say ducks are very more expensive here. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. when it comes to consuming them, you know, yeah. um, some surprise to hear that they're a buck a duck. That's a crazy yeah. thought. <laughs> well, good on you for bringing us um, Barney and Iggy, which will provide me with Nothing but nonstop laughter yes. from from here on out. And it will also remind <laughs> me of one of my favorite cartoon characters, which, of course, is Daffy Duck. Very hilarious character. Yeah. And a very popular meme when used to talk about all of those who betray us in the Black world, right? Like ah. the Daffy Duck tap dancing is a yeah. very, <laughs> very popular meme for the Clarence Thomases and other assholes of the world right so daffy lives on in a in a space he never imagined <laughs> <laughs> um my next off the dome question is what is the one thing that has surprised you if you had to name just one thing that has surprised you about this change in your life and you know it doesn't have to be gardening specific it can be anything like what's the one thing that kind of like jumps out at you when you think about going from the city life to the country life that you could start over and be okay and start over in this kind of way specifically and find community and find that you're not the only one. And in my case, like not the only black family doing this work, there's a lot of us out here. And I think that it's just a reminder that you can do this. Anyone can do this. It's awesome. And, and my final off the dome is what is your, favorite thing what is your favorite thing to grow Ooh, right now arugula i really hmm. love being able to to pick arugula and we can i have my first bed of it growing it's so easy to grow too so it's nice to have something that's like reliable and i don't have to water it right now because we're getting pretty consistent rain okay <laughs> it seems like rain is a theme as much as i know that's a part of that part of the country it seems like ever more present <laughs> Yes. Uh, always. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. I, I 
always say like I could have lived in London and I didn't live in London because it needs to be like 30% cheaper and 20% sunnier. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> that despite my family, I'm always like, nah, y'all can keep it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there's there's dreams of living. I mean, that's kind of why we went down to the Bay Area for a while, but yeah, we could do for a little bit more sunshine. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? You're, it sounds like you're making it happen, and I and I love yeah. that. So the the final segment of the show is called a drop, and the drop is just our opportunity to recommend anything at all to you know our listeners. It it doesn't need to be super heavy because a lot of times when people come on the show, they think because of the themes, I'd have to give me this like, well, I was reading this amazing man. I'm like, it could be anything. Like it doesn't have to be super deep. So mine is I always go first is a show on Amazon. No coincidence that she used to work at Amazon, but it just so happened. <laughs> it is on Amazon Prime and it's called Harlem. And I kind of like, I don't know, I'm kind of funny sometimes with shows and I didn't fuck with it. I don't know why. I just didn't. And then more recently, after I watched season one, season two is coming, is ongoing even as we're recording this and is actually pretty good. Like, I hate to say it's this meets this, but it's kind of like Sex in the City meets Insecure. Right. If that means anything to our listeners, um, Megan Good is is the principal star. Whoopi Goldberg is also in it as a supporting character. And, you know, Whoopi, for all her foibles, I believe, is actually one of the most talented humans that we've ever seen. And, you know, she doesn't have a huge role in it, but she's in it if that kind of gets you there. And I've, I don't know. I've really been enjoying it. And I was like, why the fuck didn't I just watch this from the jump? You know, mm. so my drop is Harlem on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Love that. I am. Can I look something up really quick? Because there's a, a yeah, movie that I just it. watched. Okay, one second. I'm all about the accuracy. <laughs> I, I'm getting worse and worse with names, and I'm just like, there's this one movie. Oh, you know, while you're looking, I actually watched another movie on Amazon Prime with Allison Brie and brother from Insecure, actually Lawrence, whose name oh. is escaping me, and it seems like they live in a community very much like probably where you live. (laughs) My my stereotype is like, cause she's like the LA executive and has a TV show and he stayed in their community. Yeah. And then she goes back home because the show gets canceled. And then they were like exes who now kind of have an awkward reconnection. And they're the place in which they go back to feels very like Pacific Northwesty. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I can't quite remember the name. It's not my official drop, but it's an entertaining movie, actually. So I would also kind of throw that in as a recommendation. But um, anyway, <laughs> you're up. Okay, that was on Amazon Prime? Yeah, it's... it's Okay. Again, I can't remember the name of it. I'll look up Lawrence. It, well, that ain't going to get you because that's his insecure name. You got to look like well, Alison Brie. <laughs> I, I'll, and, I'll, ba- I'll reverse research on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, you'll find it. You'll find it. It is, it is pretty good, actually. So anyway, your drop. You're up. So I just watched this movie documentary. Um, is it is that black enough for you? And it's about black film. Have you seen this? I haven't seen it, but it's in my Netflix queue. Oh, it was phenomenal. I'm actually not... I don't watch a lot of movies. I don't watch a lot of shows. But I've just been really interested recently in sort of entangling how blackness is entangled into all of these systems. And so it was just a beautiful weaving together of like blackness in film throughout the decades and 
highlighting folks who whose names you never hear. And I think that I'm also in this phase of my life where I'm just digging for more and more stories of the people who inspire the people that I like. And I want to know the story behind the story. And I think that this was just a really, really great example of that. That's awesome. It's, it's, you're encouraging me to watch this now. Like it's, it's, it's seriously been in my queue for a minute and I haven't gotten around to it, but I'm going to make some time for it because you're, you're right. Like getting into those stories and kind of uncovering them is so fascinating. Yeah. And you, and you find how, how deep the work is. Yeah. And, and, and film is, is definitely one of those, one of those spaces. Yeah. Film, music, it's really, really cool. So yeah, thank you for surfacing that for me again and for surfacing it obviously for our listeners. So I want to thank you so much for for being on the show with me and, and joining me on the deep dive. This has been such a, a fun conversation and, and very inspirational for this, you know, city mouse who longs for a quieter living. So maybe I'll get there. <laughs> so yeah. I want to thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. You can listen to The Deep Dive via Apple Podcasts and our website, thedeepdivepod.com. Download, subscribe, listen, and share. If you like what you're hearing and enjoy what me and the team are putting together, then leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter via at FarFlungPhil. To all my listeners, wherever you are in the world, I thank you. See you on the other side.